0: This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. For more downloads, go to our website ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk or join us in person at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45 pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. We well, just read John 3, haven't we? Just a few verses from John 3. And we ask a question What was that all about? What's God intending to do? But it has a purpose with the earth and with man upon it. Let's seek to establish that purpose first of all and then develop our thoughts. We're looking at Numbers chapter 12 sorry, Numbers 14 and just one particular verse. Well known, it's simple but it's full of meaning. Numbers 14, and verse 21. But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. That's the bottom line, as we say today, of the purpose of God. That as surely as he lives, he intends to fill the earth with his glory. We notice, though, the first word in verse 21 is but... And that refers back to the context in which this... Extremely powerful statement is made. It's set against a particular context. Immediately before verse 21... We find a link in verse. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word. Indicating that just what's been said to him... Has caused him to pardon someone. The full context is that of rebellion. Rebellion by the children of Israel... On the way from Egypt, being taken to the land of promise, the land of Canaan, when they rebelled against their God, Yahweh, He brought them out of bondage, and they were being led by Moses through the Sarnia Peninsula. But they were frequently complaining, they were rebelling against the instructions given to them by Moses, who was speaking on behalf of God. And then after moving towards the land of Canaan, which they'd been promised as a possession, through Sinai, through the peninsula for some 17 months, a long time to be on the road, they weren't always marching, they stayed at different places from time to time, but moving forward, they became restive once again. In chapter 13 of Numbers they have been instructed to send men out to appraise the land which had been promised them by God. They picked 12 men, sent them on this mission, one from each of the tribes, and these men came back some were bearing a huge cluster of grapes carried upon a staff by two men that indicates the weight of the grapes in this big cluster and they carried also pomegranates and figs and that was a demonstration it was a confirmation that the land was indeed flowing with milk and honey but ten of the twelve said that whatever its fertility they would not be able to enter in and possess it because the people already there were too strong for them there were two faithful men Joshua and Caleb Caleb incidentally being a Gentile not descended from Jews they were the faithful spies and they said that no matter how strong the people were Yahweh was with them and thus they would overcome the cities of these people were strong they were walled and there were giants in the land men like Goliath 9 foot 6 or whatever maybe as big as 11 or 12 feet and they were fearful of them (coughs) so much so that they were looking to appoint a leader let's go back to Egypt because we had plenty of fresh food there we had fish didn't we we had flesh we had leeks and garlics and other things let's go back and make the best of what we had there some have believed that there was a leader actually appointed a man named Korah that's an aside and God hearing this said to Moses stand aside I'm going to block them out. And I'll start again and make of you a greater, mightier nation. And they'll be able to go into the land and so on. And Moses interceded. He pleaded for the people. And God heard him and he granted his request as is picked up in verse 20. And then he stated that he would fill the earth with his glory, whatever mankind might be minded to do, or to try to do. And that's the bottom line of the purpose of God. But of course there's much more to it than that simple statement, isn't there? In Isaiah 11 verse 9 we get an amplification of that purpose just a little little one little further forward and it's following a passage about the Lord Jesus Christ the first five verses of Isaiah 11 tell us about the Lord Jesus Christ not by name but by character by what he will do by how he is you can look at those at your leisure and see what it's about there We get to verse 9, we see other things. Verses 6 to 8, for example, tell us that a time is coming when some of the things which cause difficulty of our race now will have been changed. Those things relate to beasts of prey and venomous reptiles. Other matters which bedevil our race are referred to elsewhere. And then comes verse 9 They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So we have in Numbers God's glory filling the earth together with his knowledge now in um, in Isaiah 11. And in, in Habakkuk 2 verse 14 that prophet brings these two things together when he writes for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Psalm 72 has a reference to these same things as well. It's a messianic psalm. As we know, that's a psalm which is with the Lord Jesus Christ in mind, ultimately. Although written initially by King David for his son Solomon, after David's second investiture as the King of Israel, was written about a year before David died. There are various sentiments expressed here which have to do with the ruling of the whole race, the whole globe, by King Jesus, and the blessings which will flow from such a rule verses 10 to 14 for example you can look at these at your leisure and ask are these things done now who looks after the poor and needy they flood many parts of the earth and yet often they're little thought of by their leaders verses 5 verses 10 to 14 rather says this the kings of Tarshish and of the isle shall bring presents the kings of Sheba and Seba shall offer gifts, yea, all kings shall fall down before him, to him is the Lord Jesus Christ. All nations shall serve him, for he shall deliver the needy when he crieth, the poor also, and him that hath no helper. He shall spare the poor and needy and shall save the souls of the needy. He shall redeem their soul from deceit and violence, and precious shall their blood be in his sight. Nobody does that now, Do they? The poor and needy are grudgingly maybe give them some benefits and that's only in some countries in other countries they starve to death then it goes on (coughs) we look at verse 16 there shall be a handful of corn in the earth upon the top of the mountains the fruit thereof shall shake like Lebanon and they of the city shall flourish like grass of the earth you may know that in ancient times Lebanon was renowned for its cedar trees, trees which had great crowns of beautiful foliage, which used to shake in the breeze. And that is telling us in the time to come, otherwise barren places will bear fruit of plant is shaking with the, the quality of the fruit and the quantity, as the seeds of Lebanon used to shake. Verses eighteen and nineteen link to the filling of the earth with the glory of God that's just another statement about that verse 18 and 19 blessed be the Lord God of Israel who only doeth wondrous things and blessed be his glorious name forever and let the whole earth be filled with his glory Amen and Amen and the last thing the prayers of David the son of Jesse are ended that was one of David's prayers concerned his son Solomon as we said and his greater son the Lord Jesus Christ in due time now the Bible abounds in statements which indicate that at some time still future to us here now In 2014, all those things, all of them, which now cause such distress, whether personally, as they do for all of us from time to time, or for whole communities, or for nations, or even internationally, all of these things will be eliminated. We mentioned a few already as we passed, as we identified what the person of God is with the earth. We mentioned the change relationships between animals and so on. We mentioned that there will be greater care for the poor and the needy. And a marked improvement in the production of of grain and of other foods as well. These are all important matters. But there's much more. (coughs) There are many problems which afflict our race with the most intractable one being concerned with the physical nature which we all have. We're all mortal. We're all subject to disease and ultimately death. And even if we live long lives free from disease... As few are, but some manage to get along without being diseased. Eventually, they simply wear out. It doesn't matter how old they are; they may just wear out at 100, 110, whatever it might be. They fade away and they die. We're all mortal. We're all sinful. That is disobedient to the commands of God, even if we do not always intend to be disobedient. We may have good intentions, as the Apostle Paul did, and then find. He's doing the things he didn't want to do. Why? Because of the sin power that resided within his flesh. And in consequence, much of the misery which is in the world is the result of men and women living lives without an understanding of how the Creator wants them to live. Thus, besides disease and death, we have a host of other problems which cause sadness and deprivation. We can can see sometimes in our own lives or with our neighbours we can see conflict between individuals, often in the same family. We can see conflict between different categories in the same country and between nations or groups of nations. Our troops are now from Britain and America and elsewhere, and now in Afghanistan, there's still have some left in Iraq and so on. Involved in squabbles, involved in fighting, with losing men from time to time. And often these conflicts break out into even worse violence or warfare, heightened warfare, a terrible cost in several ways and in addition we have criminal behaviour sometimes accompanied by violence and we have activities which cause widespread problems such as the reckless pursuit of industrial developments because of the money involved without regard to future complications we could list other matters which spoil things in society those are an example they should be (coughs) enough. and the saddest thing is and it is sad that the recognition of some of these matters is not confined to people like us with a marked religious element in their lives many other people wish to live peaceably recognize that the actions of others inhibit the peace which they wish to enjoy but overcoming the problems eludes them but the bible promises relief from all these problems in due time and that due time is as you may well guess the prelude to an earth filled with the knowledge of the glory of God a time is coming when the control of what happens upon the earth will no longer be in the the hands of fallible creatures such as we are meaning well and often messing things up despite being well meaning instead God will take control in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ now how do we know this it's simple for those who are familiar with scripture teaching but those who are not find this difficult to assess and understand so we ask them to turn to Acts chapter 17 this is the Apostle Paul he's in Athens he's waiting for Silas and Timothy to join him and whilst he's waiting he's going around the city having a look at what's going on he took an interest in what he saw then it was one of the most cultured cities in the world and of course its culture still comes down to us today in various ways and he noted the idolatry which was taking place as verse 16 indicates his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry that's the second part of verse 16 (coughs) and that interested him it troubled him so he discussed things in the synagogues and in the marketplace and he came across two groups of philosophers Men of intelligence, men who met to discuss various problems, the Epicureans, and the Stoics. And these men sought to find out what he was preaching. The Epicureans followed the teaching of one Epicurus, who lived from 342 to 279 BC. Now he taught that pleasure was the highest good. The Stoics followed one named Zeno, who lived about 270 BC. They were called zoics because that was the name of the of the pillars in the port where they met, the Zoas. Now Zeno taught that virtue was the supreme good. Virtue. And that man should be free from passion and moved neither by joy, nor grief, nor pleasure, nor pain. Both sects were fatalists. What will be, will be. It is inevitable. And they were pantheists, that is they... Firstly a belief that God is identifiable with the forces of nature and with natural substances and secondly a worship that I the tolerance of all gods not just one, not just two or three but all. Now these groups wanted to know what it was that Paul was on about. So they brought him to the Areopagus to Mars him, where the great castle of the Athenians was held. And verses 19 to 21 set the scene. It's been said that in effect Paul was on trial for his life because he was setting forth strange doctrines. That was one of the charges which had been brought against one of the greatest of Greek philosophers some years before, Socrates. He was charged with introduction of new divinities, teaching young men and young women, young men perhaps, maybe some young women, about new divinities. He was found guilty as charged and the death sentence was passed upon him and he had to fulfil it by taking Hemlock. That killed him from the feet up his feet went dead then his legs and eventually got to his arm he died died because he taught things which were not acceptable men. Paul was in a similar situation so he stood up on Mars Hill and defended himself as verses 22 to 31 reveal now that whole passage is very interesting isn't it but particularly verses 30 and 31 let's look at them ye men of Athens he says I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious for I, as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this, with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. Ah, he's found a out, hasn't he? He's found an altar that they, that they were worshipping the unknown God, and he was going to declare that God whom he knew. So he was out of the firing spot immediately. God that made the world and all things therein seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth dwelleth not in temples made with hands neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord if haply they might feel after him and find him though he be not far from every one of us For in him we live and move and have our being. A certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the God is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance, that's thinking of him in terms of stone, etc., God winked at. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Why? Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead <coughs> strong stuff that isn't it very strong stuff indeed clear indication that God intends to judge the world in very plain language is the statement that God has appointed a day in the which the Lord Jesus Christ will judge the world in righteousness and that underlining that, emphasizing it, guaranteeing it, he's offered a guarantee of the certainty of its fulfillment by raising the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. And that word judge doesn't just simply have a judicial aspect to it, which it does have, but it also carries with it the meaning of to administer affairs, to govern. Thus there is a clear indication that God intends to judge the world righteously, both judicially and did the sense of government and ministering affairs through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the consequence of this is shown in several scriptures from which we learn that food will be plentiful, that war will cease, nor will it be learned anymore. Indeed, the very weapons will be adapted to agricultural uses and that men and women will, will be able to occupy themselves peacefully with none to make them afraid. One of the problems in the world now is idleness of hands, isn't it? Lack of employment, frustration arising, etc. Those things are going to grow. Micah 4 has reference to these things. And we can learn there of a time when life expectancy will be extended, particularly in Isaiah 65. Extended, as also the picture in Micah 4 shows. We note in Isaiah 65, which we're not turning to, that there will be no longer infants only days old, nor old men who have not fulfilled their days indeed someone dying at a hundred will be seen as a young person but those who are sinful those who are disobedient of God will in fact be dying at a hundred that's what they deserve quite unlike the picture there that we now see we see Jerusalem being a rejoicing and her people a joy not like that now is it now it's a burdensome stone as it's said in Zechariah 12 So the overall picture (coughs) to be seen for this planet and the peoples who live upon its surface is tremendous. Peace, safety, abundant food, vastly improved health, criminal activity greatly reduced and ultimately abolished and all under the firm but benevolent rule of of King Jesus whose capital will be in the city of Jerusalem and there he will be given the throne of his father David, King David, but will rule over a kingdom vastly greater than ever David did. David ruled over a bigger kingdom than just Israel, but King Jesus will rule over all the earth. He will be the emperor of the earth. Now you may remember when the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary, as recorded in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. At first she was startled, she was afraid, and the angel said, Fear not Mary. And among the things that he promised her was that the son she was to bear would be the son of the highest, that's the son of the eternal Father, the eternal Creator. That he would be given the throne of David by God, that he would reign over the house of Jacob forever, and that his kingdom was to have no end. The name he was to be given, in English is Jesus, in Jewish it was Yahshua, means Saviour. But not in any temporary sense is this name to be understood this child to be born to Mary was the one whose perfectly obedient life would reconcile many most mankind to the eternal deity. And that's shown in Matthew 1 verse 21. But although the offer of salvation is given to any who will accept it in the ordained way, the prescribed way, not all will. And such as won't will ultimately perish from off the earth. And just in case you're wondering about the extent of the Dominion exercised by King Jesus, turn to Psalm 2. It's one you'll know, it's one you'll have heard quoted many times before, and it's powerful. It makes us think of what the Eternal Father is going to do, it makes us think of the power He is going to reveal. Why do the heathen, that means the nations, rage, and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against the anointed saying let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh the Lord (coughs) that's God shall have them in derision then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion That's, that's Jesus I will declare the decree The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now therefore, O ye kings, be instructed ye judges of the earth, serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry with thee, and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little blessed are all they that put their trust in him that's good stuff isn't it it's powerful stuff he's telling us that the extent of the king Jesus his dominion will cover the whole earth now that's clear enough isn't it so we ask how is this kingdom going to appear on the earth is it to be by peaceful persuasion or by the fervent preaching of orthodox Christianity or some other way well there is another way it's that which is referred to in Daniel chapter 2 I'm not going to go into this this chapter in detail you'll have heard it many a times from this platform you may well have read about it several times but it's still potent you know what it's about don't you Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon round about 600 or so BC head of a mighty empire a man of great energy and considerable ability He'd been the commander of Babylon's army as the crown prince. It's an important role, isn't it? The crown prince. Becoming king on his father's death in 605 BC. He had a dream described in chapter 2 in, in the second of his reign. It troubled him. He knew he dreamed something which was startling and which was troublesome, but he couldn't remember it. And eventually, Daniel, informed of the dream by God and under threat, He said, if you don't tell me the dream to his wise men, said Nebuchadnezzar, total autocrat, if you don't tell me the dream, all it means, you're all going to be put to death. That all included Daniel. So Daniel had prayed, and God gave him the message about what the dream was and what it meant. And verse 29 of chapter 2 of Daniel's prophecy shows that the king had been thinking about what will follow afterwards. He was thinking of the future. What's going to happen to this kingdom which I've built up? a great empire, his father had helped to found it, but Nebuchadnezzar had expanded it, and improved it, and made it very, very powerful. So he's wondering, what's going to happen to him? When I pass off the scene, who's going to take it, would it be my son, or somebody else? Wondering what will become. Daniel said in verse 28, that God had revealed to Nebuchadnezzar, what would happen, in the latter days those are the days in which we live the latter days the days when the kingdom of man is coming to its conclusion (coughs) the dream was about a great metallic image representing four successive world empires Babylonian, Persian, Greek and Roman after which no single empire would exist on plenty of empires some were bigger than any of those bigger than the biggest of those but they were all subject to challenges from other enemies The image culminates in two feet, a mixture of clay and iron, partly strong and partly broken. And then a stone appears. It's not cut with hands, and that signifies the absence of human agency. This stone strikes the feet, which break under the impact, and they cause the image to come crashing down to pieces together, to become like the chaff of the threshing floor. And the stone grinds them, as we read this morning in one of the readings, Grinds them to little pieces Like chaff And they are blown away by the wind (coughs) The image represents the kingdom of men One kingdom Shown over the ages in various forms, But always antagonistic to the ways of God The stone represents the Lord Jesus Christ And his arrival As shown in the dream Indicates that he's acting in a conquering manner He comes through the air Hits the stone on the feet And the image collapses it was top ever wasn't it when you look at the, the specific gravity of the various metals and so on the heavy is at the top the light is at the bottom ready to fall over so when it's feet are it it falls down quite naturally now we could go into much more detail but some of the information is that the Lord Jesus will come as a military commander military conqueror to put down all human government in Revelation 5 verse 5 is known or referred to as the line of the tribe of Judah now we know that some governments will will yield to him there's reason to believe that Britain's will, but that may just be our own natural prejudice but many will not many will only yield when they've been conquered and forced to acknowledge a superior power now the events leading to this appearance include the invasion of Israel by an overwhelming confederate from the north as Ezekiel 38 and Daniel 11 verse 40 onwards and Joel 3 and Zechariah 14 all show and there are other passages which we could adduce as well. Initially, this invasion has great success. And two out of three Jews in the land are slain. That might seem awful. That's what Zechariah 13 tells us. Two out of three die. The rest are brought through from the trouble, like gold being refined, or silver being refined. Jesus intervenes to save the remaining third from annihilation, and subsequently he will take up the kingship in Jerusalem. Following that, he will then issue a call to all peoples to accept his reign, which is about to embrace the whole world, or to suffer the consequence of resistance. That's referred to in Revelation 14, verses 6 and 7. And those consequences include the judgments of God upon those who seek to resist his rule by his Son. Some will accept, we said, said, yeah, for some will be glad to accept it relinquishing their power, there's reason to believe that our queen was worn by her father, King George VI before she became queen remember he died and she came queen after that he warned her that the time might well come within her reign when Jesus would return and she would have to lay down his, her crown at his feet, and that is something that Queen Victoria had also understood and also said she'd be glad to do she wanted him to come in her lifetime she died what, 1901 she wanted to come she'd have yielded her crown others feel that way well no doubt but many will not many stirred up by the papacy will make war upon King Jesus and his followers the immortalized saints and their destruction will follow and we could cite many scriptures to show that the previous which lies ahead of the earth will be very difficult <coughs> it will mean the deaths of many many millions of people who just will not yield to the divine the apologetic king But the outcome of this destruction on the earth is an earth cleansed of the evil which at present fulfills it. Not quite permanently. Not quite taken altogether. Because that process is the work of the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. But cleansed, as in the way it was cleansed in the days of the flood. The earth was clean. Almost the whole earth was clean. The whole of mankind, apart from it, had been eliminated. But Noah and his family... Eight in all, acceptable to God, were present. And they, although faithful to God, still had the same flawed nature that that, that those who died had had as well. They had inherited that from Adam. And so it will be in the millennium. Those who have been immortalized because of the faithful obedience immediately before the millennium reign began, will not be the only citizens of the the earth, or living inhabitants of the earth. They will be accompanied by the survivors of the judgments of God but these survivors will still be in their mortal state and thus subject to the final judgment which takes place at the close of the millennium and after that of course the earth will then be filled with men and women who are perfectly acceptable to God and who bear his nature the person of God as we've said is according to the Bible to fill the earth with his glory and to have that glory known which indicates that there will be intelligences on the earth to know that glory we're saying that although ultimately the fullness of the state described as the earth filled with God's glory will not exist until the millennium has been completed during that reign that thousand year period of King Jesus most of the things which now mar the earth will have been eliminated and the situation then programming will be very similar to the filling of the earth with God's glory very similar, but not quite there, because of the fact that there will still be mortal men and women who until the close of the millennium. And as long as there are mortal men and women present on the earth, God's glory is marred by the sin that they possess. That's not a knock at them, that's the way they were born, as we are born that way now. We've also seen from scriptures the events which will take place before the millennial reign of Christ begins, or in some cases contemporary with the start of that reign. What else is it for us to say? But it's important to realize that the Bible is not simply a collection of wise sayings which help men and women to live, leave, or lead morally acceptable lives. (coughs) Nor is it a book which sets out the historic events of ancient days, and particularly those concerned the life and the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of that's vital, of course. It's all important, but it is more than that. It's the showing forth also of the age long conflict between the kingdom of men in whatever form it takes and the kingdom of God. That's been a conflict from way way back in Genesis. Men vying against God in one way or another. (coughs) It started with Adam and Eve, disobeying by eating the forbidden fruit. It received a marked impetus when Cain refused the offer to offer what was required of him and when rebuked by God killed his brother who had offered what was that said 1500 years or so later the rebellion of mankind had got so bad so great that the only way it could be dealt with was by blotting mankind out Noah and his family were saved and they came out of the ark and they began to repopulate the earth but not long after maybe 300 years or so a man named Nimrod came on the scene mighty and opposed to God And this led to the effort to build the Tower of Babel. Incidentally, that pattern has continued down the ages. And it's seen now in one of the buildings that the European Union had. Same pattern of the building of the um, Tower of Babel. And it will culminate with the destruction of the image seen by Nebuchadnezzar. when the kingdom of God, under the hand of King Jesus, crushes the kingdom of men and moves it out of their way. And we can say a lot more about that. But at the end result, it's always the same. It's the triumph of God over the machinations and combinations of men. The scenes that we have in mind are fascinating. We can't go to now; our time is flying. When Daniel revealed the dream and its meaning to Nebuchadnezzar, he ended his presentation to that king with these words, The great God hath made known unto the king what shall come to pass hereafter. And he added, And the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure. Because the great God wishes to fill the earth with his glory and to have that glory known by a race of deathless men and women who have been redeemed from the condemnation of sin and death first brought about by Adam and Eve's disobedience he set out in the Bible how he will bring this situation to pass. He gives us much detailed information to consider to understand and to absorb if we will but heed it. If we focus on the essence of the divine message exemplified by the Lord Jesus Christ it boils down to an offer of salvation, that is, being saved from the nature we now bear, and thus from eternal death, if we will but hearken to the message, and take note of the living example shown to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter says in his second letter, chapter three, verse nine, "The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us all, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance." he wants all to come to him but he will not tolerate defiance of his will he will grant forgiveness to those who appeal to him as we saw with Israel upon Moses' intercession in Numbers 14 but those who hate him cannot expect mercy in John chapter 3 verse 16 to 18 we can read one of the best known of Bible passages which still appears from time to time on wayside pulpits (coughs) although although often (coughs) only but verse 16 is quoted so the picture is somewhat distorted God forgives those who believe and repent and look to him for salvation with the type of life which underpins their professed belief hence no belief no profession of faith no forgiveness and no life beyond this one Moses learned this in Exodus 34 verses 6 and 7 and for those who might believe that this is unfair that God's picky we could look at Deuteronomy 5 we see the qualification for not being cleared God said in, in Exodus I will by no means clear the guilty he will clear them in certain situations he visits the iniquity of the fathers upon the third and fourth generation of them that hate me thus the simple equation is hate God and thus be hated by him so we've considered what it's all about in brief we conclude with the statement that God has made an offer to anyone who wishes to respond to it it's an offer which is not conditioned by race or colour or gender or by political affiliation or anything else by brightness, intellectual, attempts or anything like that those who respond can look to be granted immortality in a time not far ahead of us now, we think it's very close we're seeing an indication that Christ could come this year I'm not convinced of that yet but I haven't been told now and being told that when the Passover time comes in March, April, this year, something very significant is likely to happen not being told what it is yet in fact the person saying it may not know but that makes you think we're very very close to the return of Christ (coughs) so if we're sincere in our profession and if we try to live up to the example set by the Lord Jesus Christ and he said come unto me all ye who labour and they're heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart. This is the Son of God. The nominated King of the world. Meek and lowly in heart. Come to me. And ye shall find rest for souls, For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Now that was in marked contrast to the burdens placed upon the people at the time. By the ears of as they imposed a scrupulous observance of the law of Moses whilst failing to recognise the true spirit behind it do this, do that tithe mint, tithe annis, tithe coming all little things, you've got to do Christ wasn't looking at it like that he wanted them to follow the pattern he was showing to put God in the forefront of their minds so by comparison to the Pharisees and the scribes at the time and the Sadducees too for that matter he imposes no such grievous burden but simply looks for faith and obedience to the will of God or at least a sincere attempt to obey and We can't do that can we? We can't fully obey The apostle Paul couldn't. He said oh wretched man that I am who shall deliver me from the body of this death? With his mind he wanted to do the things that are pleasing to God. With his body he did something else and he knew he was doing it wrong and he couldn't stop it. If Paul's like that we can't expect to be any different the eternal deity wants men and women to share in his glory and to be part of his great purpose with this earth and as a token of his goodwill and mercy he sent his son as a sacrifice for sin now that's a subject of course which requires accession to itself but his willing sacrifice encompasses God's offer to you follow Jesus' example and you'll be one of my children says his eternal deity there's not another offer which begins to compare with that, So no matter what it is if you're willing to look into the matter further and seek to respond positively to such an offer, then things will be well. Or were you saying, well, it's, what it entails is likely to be too difficult for me, so I'll, I'll pass. And if that's your response, without further ado, then you declare yourself, by that reaction, that really, you're not fit to live beyond your present allotted span. 70, 80, 90 years or so. And if that's the situation, what a waste it will be. We hope you enjoyed that talk. For more downloads, information about what we believe, and details of our meeting times, go to our website, christadelphians.org.uk.